Hello and welcome to West Indies on 99.94, Cricket Every Day. My name is Mashal St. Patrick Kurt, one half of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast, and with me as ever is Santoki Nagilendran, the other half of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. West Indies on 99.94 is your new home for West Indies cricket content, and we'll be dropping into your podcast feed on YouTube or on the 99.94 app. And we'll be doing that several times every week. So please rate, review, like, subscribe, share, all that jazz. Also, if you get a chance, go check out the Mitch Johnson Show, where the former Aussie Quick talks about his life and cricket. You can find it where you listen to your podcast or on YouTube. Thanks for joining Cricket's Conversation. Today on West Indies on 99.94, we're going to be talking about the West Indies test squad that has been announced to tour Australia. Santoki, take it away. Yeah, and as fate would have it after our disastrous World Cup campaign in Australia, it's ironic our first assignment post that World Cup is a test tour back again in Australia. Two tests, one in Perth and a day-night test in Adelaide. Now this week, West Indies have named their test squad. We've got one player making their debut for the West Indies side and we've got some returning faces and omissions. And so as always, we're here to break down the squad selection and analyse it, go into a deep dive. So it's only right by starting off by actually naming who made the squad. So as expected, Craig Brathwaite is captain, Jermaine Blackwood, vice-captain, followed by Nkrumah Bonar, Shamar Brooks returns to West Indies Colours, Tej Narayan Chandapur makes his debut. He was a reserve player for the Bangladesh tour earlier this year. He's now made it into the squad properly. Rostin Chase returns, Joshua De Silva, Jason Holder, Alzari Joseph, Carl Mayers, Anderson Phillip, Raymond Reefer, Kimar Roach, Jaden Seals, and Devon Thomas. Now, Michelle, I guess the headline in that, which has kind of got all the media headlines, is Tej Narayan Chandapur. Obviously, he's been in stellar form for Guyana Harpy Eagles in a recently concluded domestic season. But I guess the bigger story is the son of the legendary Shiv Narayan Chandapur. I think fans around the world are sort of hoping he can follow in his father's footsteps. Now, with John Campbell being banned for four years um, as of as of this moment. It's assumed, with West Indies not having named any other openers other than Tejan Ryan and uh, Craig Brathwaite, that Chandapur will be opening in the first test in Perth against the likes of Mitchell, Stark, Pat Cummins, Josh Hazelwood. Just how big a task is this for a young man making his debut, Mash? Well, I, I remember a few months ago, it might have even been pre-99.94, when you and I were discussing about about the chances of a likely Tej Narayan Shandapur debut. And I think, actually, I think it was pre the Bangladesh series and we were were trying to weigh up, would Tej get in ahead of John Campbell or would they give John Campbell one more series to try and hold on to his place and stake his claim that he belongs um, opening with Craig Brathwaite? Now, in that Bangladesh series, John Campbell averaged 68 and at that moment in time, we had no idea that a potential ban might be pending later on in the year. So it looked like to all intents and purposes, that John Campbell would be going to Australia to open with Craig Brathwaite. And to be fair, Santolki, that would have been my preferred situation. Not because I don't want Tage to debut. I just don't want Tage to debut in Australia. I think there are, some will disagree and say there's tougher places to tour, but on bouncy, fast decks in Australia where the current West Indian generation aren't used to that, 
on a season by season basis. The one time in the last two years where we where we played a team on fast bouncy tracks was when South Africa came to the Caribbean and blew us away in every single innings of that series, which was placed in which was played, sorry, in St. Lucia. Now St. Lucia is the is the quickest deck in the Caribbean. And we saw Ngidi, Norke, Rabada did to us. We couldn't get anywhere. We couldn't compete, basically. The now the Australian pace attack in Australian conditions, we assume that a similar kind of trial by pace is about to take place. So on one hand, I feel for Tej that it, it's 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 unforgiving to ch- to have to make your test debut in those conditions. But then at the same time, Santok, as I hand back to you, if anybody's got the game to soak up to soak up balls and make ten off one hundred and seventy five balls. It's stage the right shadowful. Yeah, we, we talked on a previous episode about our collective dream being West Indies finishing on about 150 after 90 overs of play in Australia on that first day in Perth. But as you said, Mash, it's going to be a trial by fire. Obviously, there's been a lot of hype around Tejan Chanderpool. He's not the finished product. He averages 34, which is quite high by domestic standards. But he's been inconsistent for the past three or four years, which is why it's taken him a while to get his debut call up for the West Indies. So he's not the finished product. This is going to be a massive, massive assignment for him. I think, realistically, I think I speak for both of us when I say we're expecting West Indies to lose this series um, 2-0. It's, it's, it's the quality that Australia have, especially at home, both in terms of the batting department and bowling department, is far too strong in terms of what we've seen from the West Indies side. But it's important to note that we are touring again, um, a freak of the World Test cycle. We are touring again next year. So I guess I'm looking at these, these two tests as sort of building blocks to kind of get used to Australian conditions, kind of get scores together. And then hopefully in 2023, we can improve on the performance because I think the last time we toured in Australia was 2015 for tests, which was a long time ago. Carlos Bathwaite was in the side. Uh, Chandrika was opening. So it, it would be delusional to expect these, this side to sort of come after seven years and put up performances. So I'm looking for players to use it as a building block for 2023 tour personally. And I think Chandapur, obviously, if he can get used to the conditions and the bounce and stuff, we probably won't see it on this tour because it is his debut. He's going to be nervous. First time playing bowlers of this quality on the international stage. If it puts him in good stead for 2023, long term, I'd be happy about that. But as you said, I think John Campbell and Craig Brathwaite have been settled for the past three years as our opening pair. I would have liked to have seen them go in and bat. Alas, as with West Indies cricket, there's never a dull day. John Campbell can't be there. So we have to go with Tejan Ryan Chandipal. And I'm excited to see kind of how we can perform against this kind of bowling crop. Now, Mash, um, I think the other big, big talking point is the inclusion of Rostin Chase as a spinner. Obviously, this has got a lot of headlines, probably the most headlines in the Caribbean as to his selection. He hasn't played for West Indies um, since 2021 tour against Sri Lanka. He didn't really put up good figures in the domestic scene. He sort of come out of nowhere to reclaim his spot in the test side. Did this come as a surprise to you um, in terms of his selection? Yes, basically. I, I was going to try and give some kind of balanced answer. But the reality is, yes, it came as a surprise because I have to think back to when when you text me, because I obviously we assumed that Rakeem Cornell was in the squad. And in fairness, if 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 we say here now, as as, as we understand it, Rakeem Cornell was in that squad. And the, the, the decision to go with Roston Chase was very much a last minute decision after what I believe to be medical reasons came to light that have kept Rakeem out. I'm not at liberty to disclose what those medical reasons are, mainly because I'm not 100% certain what 
they are. But I just know that there were some medical reasons that kept uh, Rakeem out at the last minute. As a result, the selectors then turned to Roston Chase. Now, my issue is this, Santoki. Should they have turned to Roston Chase once Rakeem was no longer in, in contention? Desmond Haynes said in the press conference uh, the ones, uh, for the, the announcement of the test squad that they wanted to take an off-spinner to Australia. So that rules out, like, Gudakesh Moti. That rules out for Sammy Permol. So we can already understand why they weren't picked, okay? So based on the fact that they wanted to take an off-spinner, the next question is, well, why Roston Chase? Roston Chase has played, I can't remember how many test matches now. It's got to be over 50-odd, right? Possibly more. He's, he's taken his however many test wickets at an average of 42. Do you mean to tell me that that, that, that is the second best off-spinner in the Caribbean? And if, and if that and those stats are rated as the second best off-spinner in the Caribbean, then we're finished out here. We're absolutely finished out here. Now, part of me also, I think, is a bit concerned about Roston getting a recall simply because I'm not sure what message is not a good one, but I'm not sure what message it's sending to youngsters in the Caribbean. Roston's 30 years old. When Roston got dropped from the test squad, it was well overdue. Since Roston has been dropped from the test squad, he has done nothing to justify getting back into the test squad. So I guess I say to you, Santoki, does this just prove that our talent pool is so sparse that basically you can flop at the international level for the West Indies, go away, do nothing, and just know that you're coming straight back in again because there's no one else to turn to? Or or does it say that our selection committee or the people responsible for selection aren't willing to take risks for a series as, as difficult as Australia away and that actually just experience matters more in these circumstances. And that's why Rustin's gone. Yeah, I think I think it's a combination of both. I think since we started this podcast, the kind of theme with selections in the squad is generally we've been quite conservative in terms of who we pick. We never make massive radical changes to our test side. It tends to be one or two new players coming in, but generally we bring in experienced players, which is why last year when we were looking for openers, we called again Kieran Powell and Shai Hope. We kind of have like a set pool of players who we draw on. And I think it was interesting that Desmond Haynes um, alluded to in the press conference and his initial press release about the selections that Austin Chase was picked not only because of his Austin, but also his all-round capabilities. And I think this sort of links back to his performances with um, the bat and ball against England three years ago. He's kind of forged this reputation as, as an all-rounder who can kind of bail us out of trouble if needed um, with the bat and can also provide some handy off-spin. It is concerning that we are picking our main spin-off of a test tour based on his credentials with the bat rather than being a specialist spinner. So... <laughs> So again, that sort of links to the whole conservative idea in terms of they're probably already planning ahead. If we're like 50 for five, hopefully Austin Chase can come out and, and dig 20 or 30 runs. I think that's sort of the primary thinking behind picking a, a spinner who um, we've picked for credentials with the bat rather than just saying, yeah, we think he can do well on, on the Australian pitches. His Austin's vital. We've essentially said, hopefully his batting can save us at the end of the day because he's an all-rounder. So I think that's sort of where we've gone with um, Rakeem Cornwall. I would have liked to have seen him in the side. He was obviously the leading wicket-taker in the regional side. But as you said, there are obviously other issues and other factors which have come to play um, regarding his omission. I don't think a lot of people have said Gudakesh Moti should have been in the side. Um, 
because he was obviously on previous tours at home in the West Indies. I don't think Moti would make a massive difference um, with, with his style of bowling to um, how we perform in Australia. So for me, it's not a massive um, omission not seeing Moti, but I, w- I was surprised like you to see uh, Roston Chase picked in the side. It'd be interesting to see how we can perform on these Australian pitches. But Mash, we've looked at a few cases there. Um, I guess we're going to take a break. And when we're back on the other side, let's have a look at one strength of the West Indies test side, the bowling. You're listening to Cricket's Conversation on 99.94. Whatever your team, we have the show for you on podcast, YouTube or on the 99.94 app. We have India, England, South Africa, West Indies and now Sri Lanka covered. If you want to find us, the best way is to follow us on social media at 9994DM by downloading the 9994 app or Google 99.94 on podcast. We speak cricket. Okay, now we're back, Mash. And recently in the T20 World Cup, um, we saw a match between South Africa and India where in Perth, where the pitch was spicy, bouncy, the paces were just generating a lot of a lot of fast deliveries that were bouncing hard and were causing batsmen a lot of trouble. Now, this is good news, I guess, for West Indies as we'll be playing the first test in Perth. It's something we've come with a strong bowling attack. Jaden Seals, um, Alzari Joseph, Kimar Roach and Jason Holder. For you, do, does our performances in these test match hinge on how well these bowlers can perform in Australian pitches, bearing in mind how brittle our batting has tended to be over the past few years? This is interesting because I was thinking about this the other day. The only way I can see West Indies taking these matches to three days <laughs> <laughs> is is if we bowl first. I've been thinking, I've been, I've been an about this. So if we bowl first, like assume, okay, let's say there's some spice in these Australian decks. We bowl first and we reduce Australia and we, let's say we bowl Australia out for under 250. That at least means we can pretend for at least half a day, oh, we, we might, we might do something. <laughs> we might actually get a result here. And that, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that's how highly I rate our bowling attack. I do believe the only issue is, in fairness, Jaden Seals hasn't toured before to Australia. Alzari Joseph hasn't toured before. Um, so my only concern is they're going to have to get used to bowling the right line and length in, in Australia. So it's not, as, it's not as straightforward as, oh, well, we've got, a, we've got a really good hostile pace attack that can cause some problems. We do, but they're not necessarily experienced in Aussie conditions. But let's say they get up to speed quite quickly in terms of what's required in Australia, then yes, I see them causing the Australian, the Australian sorry, batting lineup huge and significant problems. Of course, the flip side, Santoki, is whilst that's the strength of ours, our batting is, generally speaking, a weakness of ours. And my biggest fear is what is that Aussie bowling lineup going to do to our, to, to, to our batters? Yeah, I've, it's, it's going to be painful to see when Mitchell Stark's running up to bowl at Tejanara and Chandapur. I think one thing about Australia in terms of tests at home as well, it takes on like a gladiatorial sort of arena in terms of David Warner. You know, he, we know he can score 100 before lunch. The batsman Lobbershane, Steve Smith, they can all bat hard, bat fast on these Australian pitches. They know it inside out. The crowd, I think in other countries like England, where when England we've seen in the past, when they score, for instance, 300 for three or 400 for four or five, there's sort of sympathy for the opposition. I think in Australia it's different in that they pump on the batsmen. They want them, they want them to pulverise the opposition as much 
as possible. So my fear is that Australia, if they get momentum, even with our quality of bowling, as you rightly said, Alzari Joseph and Jaden Seals are inexperienced. They could get taken to town by these experienced batsmen. So my worry is Australia putting up a big score. On the flip side, if we if we do bat first, as you said, Cummins, Stark, Hazelwood, um, Nathan Leon, all of them can take wickets. We've seen how deadly they are, vastly experienced. I just don't see... As, as good as we have been performing in tests over the last year, I just don't see any flaws in this Australian side at home to make me think we can get anything other than perhaps scoring over 201 innings and taking it to day three, as you said. So um, for me, this is going to be a massive test for our players. I, I would like to see some some individual performances. I'd be good if Craig Brathwaite can put up like a big century in one of the tests, for instance. I think it's small victories like that, which I'll take from it, individual performances. Um, in terms of the bowling, Obviously, Holder and Roach have got the line and length. We'll be relying on Seals and Joseph to take wickets. It wouldn't surprise me if Carl Mayers banked a few. Golden Arm, we've seen him pop up with his medium pace. He could surprise a few. So it'd be interesting if Australia do bat first and we can bowl them out for, for 250 just to see how that might play on their minds. But generally, this Australian side at home is it's just it's just too strong for us, Mash. I think if we can make it to day three, it'd be, it'd be a victory for us, and it would also probably save us two more nights of waking up at three a.m. to see our players getting <laughs> demolished in Australia. Now, a few people have uh, messaged us on social media to talk about Shannon Gabriel, why he hasn't been included. Obviously, he's been a stalwart of West Indies pre twenty twenty. He was a stalwart for a good seven eight years. He's uh, he's had injury, been injury plagued. I think he had at Yorkshire, I believe, um, in September. So he's been inconsistent. Would you have Would you have considered Shannon Gabriel bearing in mind his experience, or do you think at this point he would need to sort of prove himself on the regional scene to have have some any credentials to get an, another call up to West Indies? Yeah, I slightly worry for Shannon that because um, this this might be it for him. Um, and the the reason why I say that is he's thirty three years old, and unlike. Kamal Roach, it's not like he was performing and taking loads of wickets in that county cricket spell that he had, right? Um, he's he's almost been beset by injuries for the best part of the last two and a half years. Even when we were picking him, we are wondering, is he going to break down in this test? Is he going to break down in this spell? And since he's had that kind of injury layoff, now he's on the comeback again. He's yet to find his spark. Now, I note that he has been selected in the um, Red Force Super 50 squad. And I guess that's really, I'm going to be watching him with a bit of a keen eye to see, is he approaching anything like his previous form? I've never really seen Shannon as a white ball player anyway, but ideally what we want to see from Shannon is that he just can just run in at full tilt and be miserly. And uh, we weren't seeing that in the first class season. So when I say, we might be approaching a point where that's it for Shannon. The only reason I say that is because Alzari has now finally got closer to reaching his final form. Jaden Seals is obviously the star boy of the West Indies bowling attack, right? And Kimar Roach is Kimar Roach. He's going nowhere. And Jason Holder is Jason Holder. He's going nowhere. So it's it would be hard, Santoki, even if Shannon was fully fit at this point and firing, who do you leave out then? Like, arguably... There's no one right now that you could leave out of the side, even if Shannon Gabriel was was back to something approaching his best. Yeah, and I don't think it's controversial to say this could be it for Shannon Gabriel. He's approaching 35 years old. That's usually the natural end of a lifespan for an international 
fast bowler. Obviously, the likes of Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad have proven to be anomalies. But generally, 34, 35 is when we see fast bowlers retire just because of the strain it has on your body and sort of being able to put up that pace at that age tends to be quite hard. So for Shannon Gabriel, it wouldn't surprise me if we didn't see him in West Indies colours again. But that's no shame. He's had a stellar career for West Indies for the past 10 years. He's he's carried the burden of our fast bowling along with Kimar Roach for those for those past two years. So he's had a magnificent career for us over the past 10 years. Um, and it's no shame for him not being able to live up to his standards at this age in time. Now, we're going to take one more break. And when we're back on the other side, we'll have a look at sort of West Indies, middle order batsmen and anyone who we feel may have missed out. If you love the language of cricket and want more, then head over to the 99.94 app and you can hear all of our podcasts and cricket commentary. We're adding new shows all the time and covering cricket series from all over the world. Be the first to hear all of our announcements by following us on social media at 9994DM. Welcome to Cricket's Conversation. Okay, now Masha, one other player making his return to the West Indies setup is Shamar Brooks. Now he's obviously coming as someone who can potentially shore up the middle overs. He's had an unusual year in that he's sort of taken the limelight in white ball cricket, T20 cricket, which is something at the beginning of the year, if you asked me whether Shamar Brooks would be able to score a century in T20 cricket at the CPL, I probably would have laughed, but he's sort of transformed himself in that arena. How? What do you think he adds sort of to our team in terms of red ball credentials? Good question, because like Roston Chase, I'm not sure how Shamar Brooks is even in the test squad. Um, so let me go there first, because Shamar Brooks was in the squad against England. He averaged 16 across that three-match test series. He got dropped for the Bangladesh series. In between, for the first-class season, he made no runs of any significance for Barbados, which begs the question, how is he back in again? And this is why sometimes in Tokyo, when I look at West Indies selections, I'm like, I, tr- I always try to find the rationale. Now, the only rationale I can find for Shamar Brooks' selection is, yes, okay, he's, he's in a bit of white ball form. I know people are going to say, oh, but Mash, he made two. He made no runs in the T20 World Cup. Okay, cool. But in the run-up to that T20 World Cup, he was making runs for, for the Talawas, right? He's a staple figure in the West Indies ODI side. So I can only assume that the only reason Brooks is there is because of his experience in general. Um, yeah, that's it. His experience. <laughs> because I can't, I can't work out why else he's there. Because Santoki, lots of people have been sending us messages going, why did they not just opt for Brandon King and finally expose him to the Red Bull? Now, Brandon King, for example... Uh, played one first-class match earlier this year, banged a century for Jamaica, then had to go off on West Indies' uh, white ball duty. He also was in Australia, playing in the T20 World Cup, and he looked like the most fluent of our batters in the T20 World Cup. So I just wonder, Santokis, I'm not saying Brooks isn't good. That's not my point. I just can't understand, other than experience... I'm not sure I get the full rationale for his selection. And despite me saying that, he may well play in the, in the, in the first 11. I'm not saying that like, I, it wouldn't surprise me if he plays in the first test match against Australia. But I don't know, Santoki, have you got any other rationale for why he got why he got selected in the test squad? Yeah, I think I think the obvious one is um, obviously at the moment we're in a global cost of living crisis. Shamar Brooks was already in Australia for the T20 World Cup. They might have said, you know what, let's let's save some plane fare and just keep him on for for the 
for the um, test series? Because I, I, like you, I can't see any logical sort of pattern in terms of why you would recall him. I guess looking at the regional run scorers, if you're someone like a Paul Palmer who made the top five uh, run scorers in the domestic scene, you'll probably be asking, what do I need to do to sort of make the West Indies side if I'm putting up the runs and uh, Shamar Books is getting the call up ahead of me based on sort of no Red Bull experience or form this year. So it is confusing. Um, I, I just think, as you rightly said, it's another indication of sort of our conservatism in terms of how we pick players. Shamar Books has played Test match cricket before. We sort of know what he can do um, and 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 hope they're probably hoping he can sort of consolidate the middle order. It wouldn't surprise me to see him make the first test, um, 11, as you rightly said. But it'd be interesting to see, you know, a lot of these players, um, well, most of the players wouldn't have played in Australia before the likes of Nkuma Bonner, Josh De Silva. It'd be interesting to see sort of the discipline they have on these pitches and how they can sort of put together runs. Um, you mentioned Brandon King then not getting picked. He didn't play in the first-class season, so I'm guessing that would probably be their rationale for picking there. Is there any other batters in the region who you feel could be hard done by, um, could feel hard done by not to be picked? I know Jeremy Solazano, who'd been, on, who'd been called up for Sri Lanka, um, unfortunately got a concussion, so didn't get to bat. And he's sort of been on the fringes of the side. He batted with Tejan Ryan Chandapur in our A-team tour against Bangladesh. He hasn't made the cut, so he could be he could end up being probably the only player in history who's had a test up test match call-up as an opener and never actually got to bat. Um, other than that, I guess there's no real obvious names. Kieran Powell was in the top five regional scorers as well, but I feel like West Indies are sort of moved on from him at this point, um, bearing in mind his age. Devin Thomas was the third highest one scorer. He got called up. Other than that, as you said, it's generally a small talent pool. And so I think most of the obvious names did get picked. But was there anyone you feel who may, might feel hard done by to not get picked in terms of batting? No, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Like even, even if you go down like the top 10 run scorers in the first class championship, I could easily just turn around and say, well, that person, so someone like a Paul Palmer, they'd need like consecutive seasons of back-to-back runs um, to really, I don't know, make a stake a claim. Uh, I guess here's an argument. You could look at somebody like a Casey Carty. Now, hear me out. Has he made the runs in first-class cricket to justify being in the West Indies squad? Possibly no, right? But then at some point, Santoki, here's my thing. Because the domestic numbers in the Caribbean are so dismal, generally speaking, it, there comes a point when you almost have to pick based on potential. So remember, Jaden Seals, didn't. it's not like he played any first-class cricket and then before he got called up to the West Indies team, we basically made the pick based on, we've seen you in the Under-19 World Cup, we've heard a lot about you in Trinidad, it doesn't matter that you've never really played any first-class cricket, we see the potential there. And I just wonder how much recycling can we do before we have to start just looking at certain players and going, let's take a punt on that talent. Yes, they average 27, but that's about par these days in West Indies cricket. So let's just take a punt on the talent and try to nurture them at the top level because we will have to at some point, and obviously we're going to have a new head coach and that head coach will have some kind of uh, say in selection as well. And maybe whoever that person is will say, you know what, let's, Let's think outside the box a bit more. We can't just keep recycling Shamar Brooks and Roston Chase and, and, and so on and so forth. At, at some point, we have to recycle. So actually, let me call a name. At the time of recording, um, Alec Athanase has just hit a century, right, uh, for Windward Islands 
uh, in the Super 50. He's an example of a talented player, 25 and under, who a lot has been spoken about him in the Winwood Isles. Yes, he's yet to put up consistent level numbers, but there's clearly talent there. At what point do we take a punt then and just say, you know what, come through? Because we already know what the current set of players can do. So let's take a punt on somebody uh, with a bit of unproven talent. Yeah, I remember during this year's CPL, I I won't be able to 100% be sure who the actual commentator was, but they made a good point that if if you were a selector basing it purely on stats who you picked, anyone could be a selector because you just pick at the list of who's been performing the most. The key job of a selector is to identify players who they think have potential, which aren't necessarily backed up by stats, but that potential to kind of back at the highest level. So as you said, we haven't really seen much of that. Players sort of been given an opportunity other than a Jaden Seals, you know, who whose talent, I guess, is obvious to anyone who watches him bowl one over. You can tell that he's a world-class bowler, but we haven't been seeing other players given a chance based on potentials. And I guess, Mash, to sort of wrap this up, obviously, <laughs> a narrative of the past two, three years has been whether we'd ever call up the likes of Nicholas Pora and Evan Lewis to test cricket without having played sort of domestic four-day cricket. Both of them have alluded to very ambiguously in interviews that they would be happy to play test cricket. I guess if they were, this would have been the perfect opportunity, Had them having already been in Australia for the T20 World Cup. They could have stayed on. Um, and played. It'd be interesting to see if the selectors or coaches had any conversations with them about that. But I guess regardless of what happened, the fact that neither of them are a surprise inclusion in the test squad, I guess we can sort of close the chapter on definitely Evan Lewis, I would say, and probably Nicholas Porat ever playing test cricket for the West Indies. Yeah, the, the the days of me saying just take a punt on them, that those days are now officially over, Santoli. <laughs> They're never going to play test cricket for the West Indies. I don't think there's any point in... in entertaining the conversation about it anymore like if the selectors wanted to think outside the box they could have just turned to Nicholas Puran and said you know what Nicholas stay in Australia don't bother fly back you don't go play Super 50 let's just stay for the test series obviously he's out of form but I, I just think there's no point in these conversations anymore include Shimmer and Hetmeyer in that list as well we'll never see these players play test cricket and in, in Hetmeyer's case we'll never see him play test cricket again and I just we just have to. I think we just have to focus on on identifying who are the players who genuinely want to play Test cricket, and once we've identified them, start taking a punt on those who have the talent without necessarily the shed load of statistical runs to to support immediate inclusion. Yeah, I think we. You mentioned him earlier. Brandon King would be a perfect example. He's mm. not been able to play red ball cricket, not through any fault of his own, just because of his white ball commitments. But he's someone who has played red ball cricket consistently, put up good numbers in the past, opened, batted in middle order, and so for me, he'd be a perfect example of someone who you take a gamble on in picking for a test side, not necessarily to be an eleven, maybe just to be around the the, te- the actual squad, have some net sessions, because he's someone who we know has committed to red ball in the past and does have test ambitions that he would be a perfect example of a player who if I was a selector or coach I'd be trying to make an exception for to include in the test side despite his lack of uh, Red Bull domestic play but I think I agree with you sadly I think it's time to close the chapter on um Puran and Evan Lewis ever playing test cricket probably Shimon Hetmeyer we'll probably see Hetmeyer playing four-day cricket for Berbice in local county cricket and putting up big numbers, triple centuries out here. But I doubt we'll ever see him in West Indies colours. But I guess that's a good way to sort of wrap up our analysis of West Indies test squad for the trip to Australia. 
I would like to say what our next episode will be, but as we say, never a dull day in West Indies cricket, so who knows what our next episode is going to be about. It will probably be an emergency pod. But I guess, Michelle, that's it from me. Is it bye from you? Yes, it is most certainly. Thanks for listening to West Indies on 99.94, where we speak cricket every day. Please rate, review and subscribe wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can download the 99.94 app and follow us on Twitter at 994DM and at Carib Cricket. Never miss out. Join our 24-7 conversation on social media and follow us at 9994DM. Cricket, every day, your way. Sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see... They've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Colby Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flo jo, Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionew. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star. A new series from Crowd Network.